I remember lying in a stretcher at the rehab hospital, having just been brought in and handed a clipboard with paperwork. No one who has suffered a brain injury should be handed a clipboard of paperwork and a pen for anything. You're listening to Financial Grown-Up with me, certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, author of How to Be a Financial Grown-Up. And you know what? Being a grown-up is really hard, especially when it comes to money. But it's okay. We're going to get there together. I'm going to bring you one money story from a financial grown-up, one lesson, and then my take on how you can make it your own. We got this. Hello, financial grown-up friends. This episode is an uncomfortable one. I had a really tough time approaching the topic because it's really sensitive. It's really hard to ask the stuff that I ask our guest about. First, a quick welcome though to everyone, our new listeners. Thank you for coming and checking us out. If you enjoy the show, please tell friends. That is the best way for us to grow the podcast and keep bringing it to you. To today's guest, CNBC's senior personal finance correspondent, Sharon Epperson, was really gracious and open in this interview. She has already talked extensively about the brain aneurysm that she suffered a couple of years ago and about her recovery, but she agreed to venture into an area that is really taboo, and that is asking, what do things cost in an emergency, and what can you do to control the cost in an emergency? Because you can't exactly shop around, and you may just get the biggest bill of your entire life. So the stakes are really high. Here is Sharon Epperson. Hey, Sharon Epperson, you're a financial grown-up. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. We met recently at the taping of Secrets of Wealthy Women. I can't believe we didn't know each other before. I'm actually, I don't think we overlapped at all, but I'm a CNBC alum, and you are the personal finance correspondent for CNBC. I am. You are named 2018 one of the 12 to watch in TV news. You also have a best-selling book, The Big Payoff, Eight Steps Couples Can Take to Make the Most of Their Money and Live Richly Ever After. Congratulations on all of that. And you are also deeply affected by a horrible medical tragedy. You had a brain aneurysm in 2016, and you've been very candid talking about it. I want to encourage everyone, I'm going to leave links to hear the full story um, because it's important that people hear everything that happened to you, how it happened, how you've dealt with it and everything. But there's one area that for this short show, I was actually afraid to ask you to even talk about. And you were so gracious when I sent you this email because it's an important part of what happens after the fact. Can you tell us in your money story about the brain aneurysm, how it happened. But then, as I said, and this is hard to talk about, the money aspects of it and and what happened on the financial side while your life is, we don't even know what's going to happen. You're fighting for your life. And after the fact, the money is discussed. Tell us your money story, Sharon. I one day went to exercise class and then did not come home again for a month. I'm the person that handles the bills, the daily expenses in my family. All of that pretty much came to a full stop when I was in the hospital. The things that saved us are, one, we are both, my husband and I, employed by companies that have medical insurance and comprehensive coverage, and I was under his employer's insurance, actually, and had really great medical care and was not really conscious of how expensive the bills were for what I had done in a 24-hour period. I 
do know that I saw more than 50 or 60 medical professionals and I was in three different hospitals. I remember going to the doctor's office. I remember my husband taking me to the ER. I do not remember much after that other than the ER doc saying I had bleeding on my brain and calling my sister who lives out of town to tell her that. And then I was pretty much unconscious. I remember being in OR, you know, um, before the anesthesiologist put me under. So anything that happened, all of the decisions that had to be made, financial, medical, everything, in the period of time, but pretty much from the time I left the doctor's office till they decided I had to have this type of emergency surgery and the particulars of that, I had no involvement. So I, d- I wasn't doing what I usually do, actually. Right. Before I have a procedure or I take my kids somewhere, I call the insurance company. I say, is this covered? Do I, what, you know, have I met my family deductible? What do I have to, so I know I'm a budgeter. So I know how much I'm going to be spending for the orthodontia and the, and the, and the other things that I've, you know, medicines and all of that, that I have had over the years with my children. So what happens in this situation? Cause this is by far the biggest medical expense you hopefully, God help us, will ever have in your life. Exactly. It played out in real time, in real life in my medical emergency. My sister was the first call that that I made. She was on the next train from Washington, D.C. to New York, and she was present before I went into surgery. So all of those decisions, my husband and my sister conferred together and made for me, for my care. Ultimately, the paperwork that I assume was signed that I didn't wasn't able to sign that says, you know, you got to pay for this if your insurance doesn't cover it. My husband has signed for that, too. So all of those financial and medical decisions were made by them for the first month, I would say, after I had my aneurysm. I will say that I was actually the one when I went from by ambulance from the first hospital to the rehab hospital two weeks after my surgery. I remember lying in a stretcher at the rehab hospital, having just been brought in and handed a clipboard with paperwork. No one who has suffered a brain injury should be handed a clipboard of paperwork and a pen for anything. I mean, I'm just still floored that that happened. And I, and I think I had more faculties than probably a lot of people at that may have. But, you know, I went through a period, and I actually still do, where I have someone, I kind of run by uh, most of my financial decisions and things by somebody just for, just for a gut check sometimes and also just for a double check if I've missed anything in, this, in the fine print. And I think he, he later was consulted, and everything worked out insurance-wise, thankfully, with that hospital as well. But I definitely signed paperwork on a stretcher. That was not cool. No, it's not cool. And I have read recently of some hospitals, one in particular that I'm thinking of, and I will put the article in the show notes in California, where it is presumed most hospitals are, quote, in network, but this hospital is not, and it is a major trauma center. And people get brought to hospitals, and then they believe, because most hospitals are in network, that they will be covered under whatever their insurance plan, but that's not always true. You really, at this point, this is life or death. You're not in control of these decisions and the financial decisions that do come afterwards. You are asked to be in control of them. The other memory that I have is when I was in the first hospital, the social worker came and asked me what type of facility I wanted to be in next. I, at the time, didn't have enough information really to even know exactly what had happened to me or what the difference between a subacute and acute facility was. They just both sounded really scary, and I just started crying because I just it just sounded like I was slowly figuring out that what had happened to me was extremely serious. But in that discussion, 
I think the ones that she suggested, as I recall, she did mention were covered under my insurance, but it wasn't necessarily, I don't remember if I asked it or if she just told it to me. But again, to your point, you're suggesting places based on medical care, you know, or, or proximity to my home, but not necessarily based on what's covered or what's covered more fully. And, and these are questions that need to be asked, but I was by myself when I was approached. Right. And that's a very financially vulnerable position to be in because your life is at stake and and your life is what matters. But yet you are, other people very often are making, are making decisions for you or are asking you to make decisions that you are not in a position to make at that point that will have huge financial consequences when you get better. For example, I wonder how it worked with all the various tests that they did and all the specialists that they're bringing in. Does somebody look and say, do you want someone in plan? That absolutely happened. I remember having to have a call with the insurance company about a specialist who was in the ER. I don't remember what exactly the test was that I had. And that specialist was not in the same network exactly. And and I had to appeal and say that I was unconscious, had no ability to say yes or no to this test. It was a test that had to be done because I was literally in a near-death situation. And once I explained it, it was taken care of. But again, you are critically ill. You've slowly recovered and you're not near your full your, yourself again. And you're confronted with having to deal with insurance companies who are second guessing what you had no control over. The main focus of my family was making sure I stayed alive and get the best, best medical care possible. And they were not thinking about the financial situation at that particular time. And certainly we're not trying to make sure that every specialist that I saw was under, was in the network. And I'll probably also just assume that if the hospital is in the network, that the specialist would be in the network in the same way. And that's not always the case. So what is your advice now in hindsight to our listeners, should they ever be in an emergency situation and face financial decisions or then not face them until the emergency is over? The thing that is so very important is to make sure that you have a plan and a state plan, ideally. And some people say, I don't have an estate. I have no, I have no money. I have, you know, why do I need to have an estate plan? It's kind of mislabeled the word estate. Exactly. You need this to have people in place who can help you with decisions that you're unable to make. And you can do that verbally with family members and just say, if anything ever happens to me, I want you to be the one. But that's not what's going to hold up necessarily at a hospital or definitely not in a court. So you want to make sure that you have it in writing and that you have the legal documents necessary for a power of attorney, for a healthcare proxy, for financial and for medical decisions to be made. And the other thing I guess I would say is to make sure that you have medical insurance and when you're an independent contractor, self-employed, have your own business, I know it's expensive, it's, it's really difficult to figure out, but it's so very important to make sure that you have adequate, comprehensive medical insurance. And I'll add one more. There's four things I'll say. Um, and that's disability insurance. Again, extremely expensive yes. if you're self-employed, but you are protecting your income. You are protecting the greatest financial asset that you likely have, which is your ability to work and make money. And what about dealing with the finances in a medical emergency? What's your takeaway there? If you can, I would say I'm waiting for my whomever that power of attorney or that person you've designated to come. Can we have this conversation when my husband, loved one, friend, caregiver, someone is there with me? And I know for many people that might be hard. 
also I had a friend who's really good and really technical and really organized and, and is really good at <laughs> harassing people to make sure they, she gets her money. And she helped me with a lot of my bill paying and, and the, the discussions I had to have with insurance companies. So it's hard to do by yourself. It's very, very difficult. And I had people, thankfully, in my network. There are also agencies out there that will help you know, that, that, that help caregivers or that help people in terms of being your advocate for healthcare issues. But it's just hard to know. And Bobby, you may know better, you know, who can you trust? You do your Pilates and core bar class and you ran the marathon and you did this and you eat, you drink the spinach smoothie. I had a spinach smoothie and an hour later I had a brain aneurysm. So you (sighs) never, ever in an exercise class. So you never, ever, ever know what can happen and when it can happen. And so having that conversation, it's not a downer. It's I'm going to have, I'm going to be in the strongest possible position for the rest of my life. All right, let's switch gears to a more uplifting topic. And that is your everyday money tip, which no one has ever said, I believe, on Financial Grown Up, And yet it is something we can all do that will really help us on a day-to-day basis. You have to know where you stand financially before you can plan on where you want to go. And so I set up alerts through my bank, text alerts or email alerts on how much money I have in my account on a daily basis. Whenever I go over spending $250, when I have a bill that's paid that's over $250 from my account, all of these alerts come into my phone. So my money tip is to every day check in. If it makes you crazy to do it every day, do it every week. But I check in every day I, because I get an email on my phone that lets me know how much money I have to spend. Great advice. Before I let you go, I just want to talk briefly about your efforts to raise awareness and to advocate for more research about brain aneurysms. You established the Sharon Epperson Chair of Research through the Brain Aneurysm Foundation. It provides grants for research and early on early detection. Tell us a little bit more about that and how people can support that effort. I am the fourth generation of my family members to suffer brain hemorrhage. And so while I don't know for sure if the brain hemorrhages of my great-grandfather, grandfather, and my mother's eldest sister was caused by a brain aneurysm, I know it's very likely that that is the reason why I suffered one. And brain aneurysms are more likely to impact women than men and twice as likely to rupture in African-Americans than in whites. And so as the mother of two children, who I'm not sure yet, whether they're going to be completely healthy or may have a brain aneurysm, I want to make sure that they're the best technology, the best strategies for treatment and for dealing with this are available to them. And so I'm supporting the Brain Aneurysm Foundation, which is at the forefront of raising money for research for brain aneurysms and of lobbying in Washington to increase federal funding for this type of research also. So I would urge people to go to bafound.org to learn more about what happened to me and and what research is being done, and also to support the Sharon Epperson share of research so that more research dollars can be given to very, very, very smart researchers and medical professionals who are coming up with cutting-edge innovative treatments and strategies to deal with this. Well, thank you for all of your efforts. And finally, just share with us your social channels and where people can learn more about you and follow all of your endeavors. You can follow me on Twitter at Sharon, S-H-A-R-O-N underscore Epperson, E-P-P-E-R-S-O-N. I'm on Instagram at Sharon Epperson CNBC. You can also reach out to me on LinkedIn or Facebook, on my Facebook page. And I love to connect with 
viewers and readers and listeners and know what your money stories are. I love your show. I love what you're doing because the more that we talk about this, none of this is taboo. We all have something. We all have something that we're dealing with that we're going through or that we have gone through. And by sharing with one another the ways we've coped, things we've done well and things we have not done well, I think it helps everyone. So I I urge people to reach out to me and I thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show. Thank you so much for joining us, Sharon. Take care. Okay, my friends, financial grown-up tip number one, do the paperwork in case of a medical emergency, specifically a living will. That is a written statement saying what you want in terms of medical treatment if you cannot give consent, like Sharon. Financial grown-up tip number two, if you are in a medical emergency and someone is thrusting forms at you, as was the case with Sharon, and you are not in a mental state to fully understand what you are signing, tell them that. Tell them that you need to wait until a loved one gets there. Tell them the reason that you are not fully able to understand what you are signing. And if you do sign under duress and it comes back to haunt you, consult a lawyer. What happened to Sharon, as she says, is not okay. Thank you, as always, for joining us. I am blown away by the incredible gift that Sharon has given to all of us. And I want to hear from you what you think and what kind of experiences you have had with medical bills and emergencies. DM me on Instagram at BobbyRebel1 and on Twitter at BobbyRebel. You can always email me at hello at financialgrownup.com. And please do share the podcast with friends. That, along with ratings and reviews, possibly on Apple iTunes, are the best. And by the way, I have a new additional podcast I'd love for you guys to check out. It is called Money in the Morning with my co-host, Joe Salcihai. We talk about news headlines and why they matter to you. All right, big thanks to Sharon Epperson for helping us all get one step closer to being financial grown-ups. Financial Grown Up with Bobby Rebel is edited and produced by Steve Stewart and is a BRK Media production.